You can grab a seat. And good morning, good morning. Hopefully no one's too sore from big event yesterday. Show of hands. This is just, don't feel bad if you're not about to raise your hand, okay? It's okay. But who all participated in big event yesterday? Dang! All right. Well, now we know. Maybe you should feel a little bad, those of you that didn't raise your hand, right? That's, that's impressive. Uh, I'm so glad to see that you guys were out. Man, I, I drove around and I just, I saw just the students everywhere. I saw the photos and all that stuff. People just helping. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, that that happens here. I'm so glad that so many of you are part of it. Uh, I'm also very glad that we are at this point in the semester, all right, where we're all comfortable enough with you, or with each other, <laughs> that we can be honest with one another, right? We're at that point in the semester where, you know, we're, we're nearing the home stretch, and so because of that, we have the freedom to share, you know, what's truly on our hearts, what's truly in our minds, and I'm going to be honest with you right in this moment and tell you uh, that I'm about to show you one of my favorite things in all the world uh, because it displays so much pain, okay? Because I have a very dark sense of humor sometimes. And if you have never seen uh, this one nugget of YouTube brilliance, which is, I'm sure you've seen it, the Jimmy Kimmel's uh, challenge to parents uh, to tell their kids that they ate all their kids' Halloween candy. If you've never seen that, I'm going to show you just a short clip and you will enjoy it Hopefully as much, probably not, but hopefully as much as I truly enjoy seeing this pain. Last night, we ate every bit of your Halloween candy. It's It's all gone. just leave this picture up for the rest of the morning. Oh, so good. Uh, But I love, man, I love, love, love uh, seeing this type of experience. I love seeing these reactions, not only because these parents are just so evil, right? Not only because these parents are able to tell their kids, you know, I ate all your candy and it just ruins them, right? These kids aren't so upset just because their candy is eaten, right? What I love about this, the reason that there's so much pain and just dismay and and yelling and and butt-kicking in this moment is because these parents, they're not just eating their kids' candy, they're eating their kids' dreams, right? (laughs) 
These kids each had a plan. They had this perfect 365-day plan where they were going to eat you know, so, so much candy every single day, space it out until the next Halloween. They had this perfect, just orchestrated event timeline calendar mapped out, and their parents come in, and they just wreck the whole thing. Right? They just take their plans, and they just break them apart. They crush their kids' dreams. And the reality is that all of us have been in that moment where our dreams have been crushed. We've been in that moment where our plans fall apart. You had a certain expectation for how college was going to look. Maybe your freshman year or maybe now in your sophomore year or your junior year. You thought you knew what college was supposed to look like and yet it has not. And for some of us, that has crushed us. All of us have had maybe expectations for what does our academic career look like, right? What what are my grades going to look like? What's my GPR going to look like? What kind of internships am I going to be able to line up thanks to the grades that I make? But the reality is that we haven't made all those grades. We haven't gotten into those organizations. You didn't get the honor society that you wanted. Your dreams have been crushed. We've had plans for relationships, where you met that guy or that girl, where you just connected on so many different levels and you just were so great and you enjoyed hanging out and you did these things together and then so all of a sudden it just, it just fell apart. Maybe super recently. And you're just stuck and you're like, I, <laughs> what do I do? I had these plans. I had this, this timeline. I, I knew exactly where we were going and know what we were supposed to be doing. But yet yeah, it's falling apart. My dreams have been crushed. That organization that I applied for, that transfer into whatever school I wanted to get, it it fell through. My dreams have been crushed, and what do I do? What do I do now? As Christians, how are we supposed to respond when our plans fall apart? As believers in Jesus Christ, how do we respond in the midst of failure? This whole semester, we've been looking at the life of David and looking at his life and what he does in a lot of different circumstances, a lot of different scenarios. We've been trying to understand what made David the man that he was, what set him up to act and think and live the way that he acted and thought and lived. Because this man, this David, was the one person in all of history who God looked at and said, that's a man after my own heart. That's a man who's so in line with what I want, what I desire. Man, he gets it. And I want to get it, right? I want to have that heart. I want you to have that heart. I want you to be able to call yourself a man or woman after God's own heart. But in order for that to work, we've got to understand, I mean, what made David the way that he was? How did he respond to sin? How did he respond to loss? How did he respond to rejection? How did he respond to success last week? And this morning, we're looking at how did David respond to failure? How did David respond to that moment when all of his plans, all of his dreams fell apart? What does he do in that moment? And I'll tell you right now, what we see in David that's so amazing, what sets him apart from every other person in history, is that in the midst of that failure, David was still. Still. We start off looking at David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In verse 1, we set the scene and he's sitting in his house, right? He's sitting in his, his throne room. He's sitting in his, his castle or, you know, wherever he lived, his, his palace. 
And when he lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. We set the scene and we see David in the midst of an incredible peace. He has domestic peace in his home. He has domestic peace in his country. He has peace with the nations around him, right? He's been in war. He's been fighting battles and wars constantly. But in this moment, he has been given rest from everything. Literally, he's been given shalom. If you've been going to Breakaway or if you've been in the past, you've probably heard this concept of shalom. It's a project that they put on where they want to heal different aspects of our world. They want to reach out and help people that are maybe trapped in slavery or trapped in sex trafficking. And we have seen this. This is what David has right now. He has shalom, this idea of full peace, full blessing from the Lord. David is in the midst of just the sweet spot, right? He's got no needs. I have a little nephew. He's a couple months old. His name is Forrest. Let me tell you, Forrest, he's in the sweet spot. Because all he does all day is just lay there, right? He just lays there. And he just eats and sleeps and poops. And that's it. That's it. And any time that Forrest, like, starts to get a little bit uncomfortable, right, if he needs a new diaper or if he's a little bit hungry, he just kind of, you know, makes kind of like a grunt. And then immediately, like, his mom or his dad, like, rush to his aid, like, what do you want? What do you need? You know, get pinky food or what do you want like and they they fix them like we'll give you a new diaper two diapers whatever like and they just fix them up and they're just at his beck and call at every single grunt he just can literally just, eh, and they're like oh come on and they just take care of him they love him right they want to care for him they because they want him to be just as comfortable and just great as possible i see that in him i'm like ooh, you you got shalom bro like that's that's what he's in the midst of he's in the midst of this peace force oh, David is in the midst of this peace where nothing is wrong. He's peace from all of his enemies. Shalom is where David is. And so what does he do in that moment? What does he do when he's achieved this incredible peace? He begins to think. He begins to think about what could be. He begins to think, ask himself, man, what does God want? Right, we talked about that a little bit last week. We said, what does David do in the midst of success when he finally reached his throne? David sought after God. He decided to seek God. And so that's what he does in this moment. He thinks, what, what does God really want? And so he says to Nathan, the prophet, okay, his buddy, Nathan, who's his friend and also happens to be the prophet from the Lord, meaning he was God's mouthpiece to the nation at that time. David says to Nathan, he says, see, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David's thinking to himself, you know what? My house is super awesome. God's house is a tent. Eh, that's kind of lame. And so he's basically saying to Nathan, look, I want to build God a house. If we looked at the parallel passage in Second Chronicles, we would see David is trying to think of how, how do I build God's house? How do I give God a permanent place where all the nation can come and worship him? Right? David is thinking through, I mean, what, do I, what can I do to serve the Lord in this moment? And he decides, I want to build him a temple. And so Nathan, God's anointed prophet, hears David's desire. And he says, yeah, totes, totes, bro. And they fist bump, like, yeah, temple time, right? And they go off their separate ways because that's how prophets talked. Yeah, more bro tank, prophet tanks. That's what they're originally known as. <laughs> and he says, yeah, David, you should totally build that temple. You should totally build it. David's like, yeah, totally. I totally will. And we know that David's desire was good because in 2 Chronicles, it says that it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. What we see in this moment is David having a good desire. We see David with a pure motive. It's not like David's wanting to build this temple because he wants to like write his name on the cornerstone and be like, David built this. Like he's in it for the Lord. He has a good, good desire. At the beginning of the semester, we talked about this, the chapter before this one where David brings the ark to the city. He wants God to be the center of their nation. He wants all of his people to come and worship the Lord. That is a good desire. That is a great desire. David wanted above all other things, not even just to build a temple, David's ultimate desire was he wanted to glorify God. He wanted to glorify God by building a temple. That is a good, good, good desire. That's a great plan. Great plan. See, the reality is we are all constantly making plans, right? We're all constantly trying to think of uh, what we're going to do. Sometimes it's a small scale. Sometimes it's a big scale. Sometimes I'm thinking today, you know, what am I going to have for lunch? Blue Baker, of course, right? And then you think, well, but where am I going to study tomorrow? Again, Blue Baker, that also makes sense. And you think, well, well what do I want to do with my college degree? Right? What am I going to do when I graduate from A&M? Go work at Blue Baker. Of course, right? I just answered all your questions right now. But we have these ideas. We have these plans where we set up, man, what am I going to do with my life? What are these plans that I'm creating? And let me just tell you right now, preface every single one of those plans. Let every single one of those plans flow through the same filter that David used. Check, what's my reason? What's my reason for this plan? What's my reason for this desire? What's my reason for what I'm trying to do? God told Samuel earlier this semester, a few chapters before in 1 Samuel, he told him, I don't look at the exterior. I don't look at this. I look at a man's heart. That's how I judge man. That's how I judge woman. I look at the heart. So ask yourself, as you're making plans, as you're in the midst of planning out who you're going to be dating and where you want to work, and what you want to do this summer, and what you want to do in the fall. As you're making those plans, ask yourself, where's my heart? Where's my heart? What's my reason? Am I truly seeking to glorify God in this decision? Why am I joining that organization that fights against slavery? Is it just so I can be with my friends? Is it just so I can pad my resume? Or do I have that one desire that set David apart, which is to glorify God? Why am I trying to get that internship in Dallas or Austin or Colorado or wherever? Why do I want those things? Why do I want that job? Why do I want that career path? What's my reason for this plan? Because if it's not ultimately to glorify the Lord, then you are off track. What's my reason for dating this person? What's my reason for wanting to marry this girl or this guy? Ask yourself, what, man, what, what's my reason, right? Like, let it flow through that filter. And as soon as that checks out, we oftentimes think, okay, well, I'm good. Here we go. I've talked to so many men and women in and out of college 
who they think that's the one and only step. You check your motives. If your motives are good, then you're like, all right, it's the Lord's will. David says, you know what? I want to do this for the Lord. He talks to God's prophet. His prophet's like, yeah, God would totally want that too. And David's like, sweet, here we go. And he's so excited because he thinks, you know what? My reasons, my motives are pure. Therefore, man, this is all just going to fall into place. This is going to be awesome. But God comes back to David immediately and says to, Na- or he says to Nathan to communicate to David, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? It's a little confusing because we don't uh, understand Hebrew quite as well these days. And so we don't catch the fact that this is written in a very, it's written with an expectation of a negative. It's written with the expectation that the answer is no. In fact, if we read this parallel passage in Chronicles, we would see God says there, it's translated as, the Lord said to David, you will not build my house. You will not build my temple. David, or God is revealing to David something that we need to understand, which is that not every good plan is God's plan. Not every good plan that you come up with is God's plan. That doesn't mean that your plan is bad. That doesn't mean that you're being disciplined. Remember, God just said, David, I love that you have this desire. David, I want to affirm in you this desire that you had. David, I want to affirm in you this this plan that you had. But, But David, it's not my plan. It's a good desire, but David, it's not my desire. I have a buddy named Robert. He's awesome. Met him in college one of my best friends, and he lives in, uh, he decided after college, he's like, you know, I want, I want to be a Christian counselor, high calling, very noble calling, and he decides, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to seminary, I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to get uh, trained to be a Christian counselor, to hear people. He majored in psychology at A&M, he, he lined up to go into the seminary, and he went, man, he got married, took his wife, they packed up, moved out of state, went to seminary for his degree in Christian counseling, and as soon as he got there, his first semester of seminary was terrible. Terrible. Just a combination of profs and fellow classmates that just made his experience horrendous. Not only that, as soon as he starts there, he's starting to take classes and he's trying to you know, figure out what's going to do. And his wife is working full time to support them because he can't really do both at the same time. He had a part-time job, but it wasn't enough to support them. Suddenly, he finds out his wife is pregnant. Prego. With a capital P. And he says, oh, no. Oh, no, prego. He says, what am I going to do? And he realized in that moment through a variety of different circumstances, as talking to us, his friends and his family and all these people that had been pouring into him, he talked to them. He realized, you know what? I think even though this desire was good, even though I felt like this, this was where I needed to be, even though I had these good desires to be a counselor for the Lord, man, it, it's not God's desire. It's not God's desire for me to do this. God goes on to tell David, you look, you're not in trouble. <laughs> I'm not telling you that you're, you're terrible. Instead, say to David, he's, again, he's still talking to Nathan. He says, say, say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. God goes on for verses, affirming David, telling him, David, I picked you 
and I've used you. And David, I want to still use you. <laughs> David, I still love you, and I want to I use you in these powerful ways. He says, I'm going to go before you and take out your enemies. David, I'm going to put you in places of power and authority that no one's ever even seen before. David, I'm going to do amazing things through you. But David, you're not going to build my temple. David, that desire is not mine. So God is not rejecting David. He's redirecting David. Many times we're going to find ourselves in that moment where we feel like God's saying no. We feel like the doors are just getting shut. That relationship ends or that major doesn't work out or those grades don't line up or that organization falls apart. But it's not always a rejection. Many times it's a redirection. God's saying instead this. Instead, that. He tells David, I want you to be king. David, you're not going to build my temple. My buddy Robert realized when he was in Colorado, you know, I I, I can't do this, right? I I can't make this happen. My wife is pregnant. The school is, I can't handle it. So he moved back to Dallas. Right now he's in Dallas. Got a different job. Quit school. Had a beautiful daughter named Bethany. And he's seen and grown in Dallas in a way that, man, wouldn't be possible if he'd been out of state. He's had family and friends crucially involved in his life, crucially involved in supporting his family that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. He was in Dallas and he had the opportunity to discover this passion that he had for coffee, for roasting coffee. And so now he has this like huge coffee roaster thing and does this part-time job kind of on the side, sells uh, Muldoon's, for example, buys all of his coffee. They exclusively carry his coffee. Something that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. Something that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't gone to Dallas. Something that he realizes now was a redirection from the Lord. Because coffee is always better than people, right? Like that, way better, right? He's like, man, thank goodness. I just look at coffee beans instead of people's problems, right? Like I now am a coffee roast and he loves it. Oh my goodness, he loves it and he uses it to glorify the Lord, which is what's so incredible. In that moment, he wasn't being rejected by the Lord. He was being redirected by the Lord. And let me just caution you right now. That's gonna happen to you. That will come. (laughs) That day will come where you think you have just the right reason. You've got the right plan. You, You think you've got this great desire and maybe you've got all the right reasons. Maybe you've got all the right desires, but God will still redirect your path. So my question for you is how will you respond when that time comes? What's your response? Because many times our reasons are great, but our response is terrible. Terrible. Many times when we feel redirected by the Lord, many times when we see that door close, we decide in that moment, well, I'm just going to, take a stand, right? What I mean by that is we, we decide to just dig in a little bit deeper, right? We are just so enamored. We're so focused on our plans. I'm so driven to not watch it die that I will just work harder. I will dig myself deeper and deeper into failure. Recently in China, they've been, you know, expanding. China's growing like crazy fast. And so they're building roads and infrastructures and buildings and hospitals and malls and all this crazy stuff. And because of all this expansion, because of all this growth and development, people are having to move, right? They're like, we need to build like a 50-lane highway through this area. So all these houses got to go. And recently, they've been discovering 
an issue with some of their citizens who are like, you know what? I don't want to go. I don't want to move my house. And so China says, that's fine. We're just going to build a highway around your house. I'm dead serious. Like this is, this is a moment where the, whoever lived there, I don't remember the guy's name, probably Reginald. And so Reginald decides, I'm not going to move. Says, you can build your highway around me. China says, okay, we will. And they do it. This is a huge highway built literally around his house. This is what is called a nail house. This is a, they've coined a term for these homes because there are so many. Someone else in China was like, hey, they're building a shopping mall around us. We all need to leave. One of the people in the neighborhood said, I'm not leaving. They said, okay, we're just going to excavate the entire area around your house. They said, that'll show them, right? But they didn't realize that the guy who lived there happened to be like this martial arts instructor and would literally, I'm not making this up one bit, would literally climb up that wall, okay, that dirt wall right next to his house. He would climb up that wall using nunchucks. <laughs> like an action hero ninja. Would climb up that wall to get to his house day in and day out. Because they told him, look, we need, we've got to build something here. We've got you to move. You have to move your house. He said, no, 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 no. This is where I live. I will climb a wall with nunchucks before I move. We decide sometimes, man, that relationship, right? Maybe for you, that relationship you're in right now is so bad, and you know it. You know that relationship you're in is toxic. You know it. You know that you're driving each other away from your friends. You know you're driving each other away from the Lord. You know it. Your friends know it. But yet, you're taking a stand, even in the midst of when redirection is needed because you're just so set. No, that's my plan. My plan will not change. My plan will not move. So you take a stand when redirection is needed. Sometimes we're the opposite side of the coin. Sometimes we're on the complete flip side. Sometimes we're just so deeply hurt by seeing our plans fail that we just surrender. We simply just give up. We decide, you know what, I'm so attached to this idea or this plan or this desire. If it fails, if it falls apart, I give up. Perfectly illustrated by this home movie that I discovered. What's the problem? You can't lift that up? No! Come back and try again. You're almost to the sink. That looks like it's very heavy. I think you can do it though, Kirsten. I think you can lift it up to the sink and you can help clear the table. I think you can do it. Your big hammy couldn't do it, but you could do it. Oh. Oh. You want to try again? Maybe you take your thumb out of your mouth and move your lovey and you can do it all. Sometimes we decide, you know what? I can't. I just can't do it. I can't go any further. This bowl needs to go in the sink, but I simply cannot do it. It's too heavy. We are faced with our plans falling apart, and we say, you know, I I just give up. We just lay on the ground. We say, it's over. It's over for me. My grades are bad. My grades are terrible. I cannot pass this class. I cannot perform well. I can't meet the standards that my scholarship demands. I can't 
do it. You know something needs to change. Your parents know something needs to change. But yet in that moment, when redirection is so needed, you just surrender. You say, well, whatever. I give up. I don't care. You surrender when redirection is needed. You're so attached to that plan that you just you can't even live with the idea that it has to change. They have to go to that other school. You have to join that other organization. You have to, you, whatever, date a different person. You, so you just give up. Or many times, what we find is we don't necessarily take that stand. We don't necessarily just give up and surrender. Many times, we find ourselves scrambling. Many times we find ourselves so scared to see our plans fail that when they begin to fail or when they do fail, we scramble and we just we frantically run around and try to find, okay, what am I going to fill that gap with? Or what am I going to do instead? What's the new plan that I can use? I had a buddy in college, roommate, who was always interested in someone. Right? You have that friend. If you don't, it's you always interested in someone, right? Someone always had his eye. We would talk to him literally week to week, and we would find out that he liked, uh, you know, he'd always have, it started off with a friend from back home girl. Uh, then he had commons lobby girl. Uh, he had a coffee shop girl. He had concert girl. That one was fun. I told that story. Uh, he had new coffee shop girl. Uh, he had all these different girls that you would talk to them week to week, and they would always be different. And it was at a point where, man, a problem would arise, and so we would just switch on to the next one so quickly and so often that that's why I literally don't know any of their names, because we set up a very strict policy in our house as roommates. We said, no date, no name. Okay, that was our, that was our rule. Until you go on a date with her, I refuse to learn her name. I cannot get attached, right? I can't keep putting my heart out there. <laughs> You've burned me too many times, man. <laughs> you bring them in front, it's like going to the puppy farm or whatever, and you can never get one, right? Like, you just see time and time again, you're like, what? This girl? Oh, no. Okay, well, she's gone, all right? And we never see her again. So no date, no name. That was our policy, because he was constantly scrambling from one to the next, constantly moving from one plan, one idea, one girl, one relationship to the next. Many times we find ourselves in the midst where we're like, oh, man, I'm going to apply for this leadership position, I'm going to apply to be officer in this, or I'm going to apply to go on this mission trip, or I'm going to apply to go in this organization, I'm going to go on do this thing, do this internship. And when that thing fails, we run to the next thing. When that thing falls through, we're like, okay, what's, what's, what's plan B? Or, or C, or D, or E, or F, right? Like, what do I go to? I'm going to scramble, I'm going to run, I'm going to gather for myself these ideas and these plans and these things that I can do to fill that gap. We're scared and we're freaking out, and we're confused, and so we scramble when redirection is needed. And what's so tragic about all of these responses, what's so tragic about the way that we act and live in the midst of seeing our plans fail, is that every single one of those pieces, whether you're taking a stand, whether you're surrendering, or whether you're scrambling, every single one of those communicates one idea, which is, I don't trust God. I don't trust him. Every single one of those responses is telling the people around you that you don't trust God. When we look at David, we see a much better response. We see maybe my favorite passage for David in all the semester that we're studying. 
This is one of my favorite moments that we see in his life, one of the most shining, perfect examples where God comes at him and he says, you know what, you're not going to build my temple. And then God gives him a very long list of, of how he's going to redirect him. We're going to not talk about that today. Instead, we're focusing on that next week. We're going to look at where exactly did God redirect David to. He gives David a covenant. He gives him the Davidic covenant, what we call it. We're going to build on that and explain that next week. But God tells him, you're not building a temple. You're going to do all these things instead. And so David, in response to seeing all of his plans fail, to seeing all of his dreams fall apart, in verse 18, he went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I? Oh, Lord God, what is my house that you've brought me thus far? In the midst of seeing his plans fall apart, we see David sit. We see him return full circle to where this passage started with David sitting, seeking the Lord in peace. At the beginning of the passage, David had shalom. He was in the midst of calm, and so he sat and was still before the Lord. In this moment, he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. His plans have been disrupted, yet he still sits and is still before the Lord. He seeks God in the midst of redirection. He's still because he trusts God, both in the calm and in the confusion. David trusted God. He didn't stand. He didn't surrender. He didn't scramble. He was still. He said, God, who, who am I? In other words, God, I, I'm nothing compared to you. In other words, David is taking the most humble of stances possible, sitting, still, humble. God, I trust you. You've been working in me. He's thanking God. In fact, he goes on for verses thanking the Lord. Lord, thank you for what you've done. God, thank you for what you're doing. That's why we read at the very beginning Psalm 118, a psalm that David wrote at this exact time, at this exact moment when he was planning on building the temple, at this exact time when God told him no. In response to what Nathan communicated to David, he wrote Psalm 118, where he says, You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You're my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He says, God, thank you for what you've done. God, I know that right now my plans aren't working. God, I know right now, I don't know what what my next step is, but Lord, thank you for what you've already done. God, thank you for what I've seen you do. David is thankful, and by being thankful, he builds into himself a trust in the Lord. When he's thankful for what God has done, he trusts what God will do. That's what we see in David. That's the response that's so incredible, and that's the response that's supposed to set us apart. That's the response that we should see in the life of every believer, Because being a believer, being a Christian, by definition, means that at some point in my life, at some moment, I realized that I was lost and confused and hopeless. At some point, I realized that no matter what my plan was, it's going to fail me because of sin. At some point, I realized that I can't do anything to save myself if I don't 
I can't be a perfect person. I can't live up to these standards that God has set before me. So instead of trying to take a stand or surrender or just give up, instead, in that moment, I said, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to be still. I'm going to hear the truth that is that the Lord Jesus Christ came, lived the life that I could not live, died the death that I deserved, rose again, showing God's power over that sin and over that death. I'm going to be still and I'm going to trust in that life, death, and resurrection. I'm going to be still and trust that Jesus Christ can forgive me. That's what being a Christian is. We are built on trust. Therefore, when my plans fall apart, I've got to trust. That's what people will notice. That's what people will see and realize, wow, that there's truth in Christianity. My wife is incredible. Her name is Susan, in case you didn't know. And she is an emergency room nurse. Okay, she works at the Scott and White Hospital in the emergency room. Basically, if you have you know, a broken arm or a bloody nose or just a stomach ache, you can go see her. That's fine. It'll cost you $5,000, but worth it. And these people, they go in, and they see her, and they're like, oh, you know what's going on? And she heals people. Right? That's her job. But she works with a lot of other nurses. She works with doctors. She works with uh, techs and aides. And she works with all these different people in the emergency room. And it's a high-stress situation where a lot of people are kind of scrambling. They're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do this? But every once in a while, there's downtime. And whenever they sit and talk with one another, one of the things that Susan has told me that she's noticed is that a lot of times people, they've got this crazy stuff going on in their lives. They've got these crazy things. She, one of her coworkers wants to go out of country for this procedure. And she's like, oh, I don't know. Right? And like, there's this crazy stuff happening. And time and again, these people, in the midst of seeing their plans fall apart or their marriages are dissolving or their kids don't live the way that they want them to live or, or they can't make enough money to buy that thing that they want, she sees them struggle. She sees them take stands. She sees them surrender. She sees them scramble. And Susan told me a few weeks ago, one of the things that sets her apart, one of the things that people are often confused about in in her life is the fact that she's just still. The fact that when they ask her, when are you going to have kids? Or when are you going to do this? Where are you going to go? Or where are you going to live? Where school are they going to go to? Right? When they ask her these questions, she's able to tell them, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And they're like, What do you mean? Right? Like they're just freaking out. <laughs> like, you have to know. You have to figure it out, right? You have to have these plans. She says, no, I, I don't need that. I love my husband. He loves me. We love the Lord. And, man, we're just trying to do what he wants. We want to be where the Lord would have us be. And, and that's trust. The stillness that she exhibits in her life is a huge testimony for the work of Jesus Christ. So what sets you apart? How are you reacting to these plans that fall apart? What, how are you reacting to the redirection that you might be facing right now? As you're creating these plans, remember, you need to be checking your motivation first, right? You always want to check your reason. Why do I want this plan? Why do I want this thing? But then check yourself as well. How am I responding? How would I respond, right? Maybe you haven't been redirected yet, but in thinking about that plan, that, that internship that you have lined up, or that relationship you're in right now, or whatever grade you're trying to aim for to finish out the semester with, Run yourself mentally through, what would happen if I didn't get that? How would I respond? Would I trust the Lord and be still? Would I set myself apart? Would I live differently from the world around me? Would I be willing to just 
seek the Lord in that moment by talking with him. We talked about this a little bit last week, but would I seek the Lord by, by listening to him, praying to him, listening to him through his scripture, reading his word? Am I willing to be still and seek the Lord through conversation, realizing that sometimes you can talk to the prophet and still get not the right answer? Am I willing in that moment when my plans fall apart, when my dreams are crushed, am I willing to be still, trust the Lord? Because in doing so, again, it will set you apart. People will see it. They'll want that. Imagine what it would look like if all of us were committed to trusting the Lord, committed to being still in those moments. How would that change your interactions with your classmates, your roommates, your friends, or your profs, or your parents, or your family members? If they saw that difference in your life. Let's get that heart like David. Let's have that same mindset. Let's be still. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've shown us through David that a person after your own heart trusts you enough to be still. God, we thank you that through David we've also seen that we are called to be faithful with what you've given us. That, Lord, we're called to not just sit and not do anything, but that, God, you've shown us that there are ways to be diligent with the things right in front of us. So Lord, I just ask that you would reveal to us what can we be faithful with right now? God, in what ways can we seek you? God, in what ways should we be still in the midst of these plans that maybe are falling apart? If you would, just ask the Lord, what plans are you really focusing on right now? What decisions are you just fully invested in? What are you hinging so many hopes and dreams on? Ask the Lord to reveal that to you right now. If you would take a moment and now ask the Lord to, to ask you, how, ask him, how, how shall you respond if that's falling apart? Or maybe it's falling apart in front of you right now. Ask the Lord to show you, how, how can you be still in this moment? Who can you talk to? What time can you set aside to just pray? What time can you set apart to just seek him through, through his scripture? Ask the Lord to build in you that trust to give you the patience to endure in the midst of confusion. Ask the Lord to strengthen you, to give you direction in that right now.